on today's show. You know, Spurgeon wrote a book in his lectures to my students on open air preaching and how to open air preach. And you have to be quick with it, I guess, if you will, because people are walking by very quickly. And so what I would do is I would try to engage with people and say, you know, sir, have you considered where you will go when you die? Where will you spend eternity? Just anything to get them to stop and think so that I can engage them on a deeper level and then bring the co- the gospel to bear upon their conscience. And and oftentimes, you know, we, we say gospel proclamation leads to gospel conversations. And so you Usually when we're done, I mean, there's times we'll have a line of people waiting to to talk. Um, some of the most amazing conversations, fruitful conversations that we would have and follow up with them. We get them connected with local churches in the area. I and mean, ultimately, I think that's where it has to come back to. Stay tuned. Hey, listeners, we have a special word from one of our partners on the show. Now, you know, and I know that ministry right now, especially in the West, in this post-Christian context that we're in, whatever that means, It's harder. It's getting more and more tiresome. But that's why Midwestern Seminary, this month of October for Pastor Appreciation Month, wants to express the deepest thanks to all of the full-time pastors, associate pastors, lead pastors, elders, lay leaders in the church, anyone who's in a position of ministry leadership in the church. We want to say with Midwestern Seminary that we appreciate you. Midwestern believes that what Jesus believes to be precious, that which he purchased with his own blood, should be important to us as well. And that's why they exist for the church. We love the work that they're doing. And as a thank you to those that are in ministry, they want to let you know that there's all sorts of free resources available to read online, to download, to listen to podcasts, videos, articles, all sorts of things and giveaways happening all the time at mbts.edu slash pastors. Again, that's mbts.edu slash pastors. If you're in ministry, why don't you check out what's over there, see what they have for you, and know that this October and throughout the year that we here at the Missions Podcast and our partners with Midwestern Seminary, we appreciate you, and we pray that you're strengthened in the work that you're doing for the Lord. And now on to the show. And welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, Director of Communications and Media with ABWE, joined again, as always, every week by my partner in crime, Scott Dunford, pastor of Western Hills Church in San Mateo, California, coming to us bright and clear from the West Coast. How do you fare today, Scott, old friend? I am faring great. It is a great day to wake up in this state and do ministry. So thankful, thankful to be here. And I'm excited to talk about what we're going to talk about today. Evangelism. We are going to talk about evangelism, Scott. And I don't know anyone who doesn't think that they could grow as an evangelist. I know that I could grow as an evangelist. I'm sure you could. I'm sure our congregations and families are full of people who could grow as evangelists. I don't know if we've often considered, though, that missionaries are often in that category, too. Missionaries oftentimes need to grow as evangelists, too, and struggle in this area, right? You were a missionary. Did you feel that way when you were on the field? Never, you know. um, (laughs) I never felt like I needed to grow in that area at all. That and prayer are probably the two things I've nailed uh, consistently throughout my ministry. (laughs) So, (laughs) yes, and truth-telling. Those three things. And humility while Um, we're at it. But, no, you're absolutely right. And uh, it's it's one of those things that I think we all want to be effective evangelists if we love Jesus, especially those of us in Christian ministry, we want to see people come to know Jesus as their savior, as their savior. Um, but it's it, it's a struggle. It's a struggle to think that way all the time. I remember getting a little off, not off topic, but I remember walking down the street with someone who clearly had the gift of evangelism in in China, a young Chinese man, and he looked at me and said, "How do you live every day?" And I'm like, "What are you talking about?" He's like, "How do you live seeing the mass of humanity constantly fo- around us, knowing that they're not saved? Like, I it, it's tormenting me." Mm. And uh, you know, that was a guy who was really thinking deeply about evangelism. And for those of us who try to think deeply about it, it it can be disturbing uh, to wake up every day really aware of the, 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 the condition of people's souls around us. So yeah. it's challenging for a lot of reasons. I, I heard an account, um, you know, a tradition that's been preserved in the church and who knows for sure whether or not it's accurate having to do with Lazarus after he was raised from the dead. The legend being that he never smiled again the rest of his life because he had seen the other side, right? He had seen hmm. what was 
beyond, and he, having tasted that, could never look at anyone the same way again. Of course, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that we're not to regard people according to the flesh, and yet so often that's what we do. Mm. And yet I think we do discount the fact that missionaries are in this same boat, needing to grow as evangelists. Yeah. So let me introduce our guest this week. I'm joined in the studio, which is a nice change, by a new friend, Dave Griffin, who is, should we go with Dave or David? You can call me Dave. Dave. I can call you Dave. Mm-hmm. All right. So I will call you Dave Griffin. Wow. You're independent. Friends. Yes, we're close. Yeah, we are. But Dave is something of an independent filmmaker. Uh, you're also full-time in marketing with a, an organization and uh, you're a layperson, former church planter, and uh, you you also are someone who's passionate about the Word of God and passionate about preaching truth as well. But uh, we crossed paths uh, through your filmmaking, mm-hmm. and your burden has a lot to do with what we're discussing here. So just briefly tell us what you're doing here today, and then we want to dive right in because really sure. this is an important topic. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, Alex. I appreciate it. So I, I'll do my best. I'm not that eloquent on camera, but I'll do my best to communicate it. Better behind um, the camera? I, I'm much better behind the camera than on camera. Yeah. So the reason we're here, um, I, I I love the work that you're doing here. And, and um, I was acquainted with Alex through uh, the book that he wrote. And we had spoken briefly uh, online before. And I wanted to get Alex's perspective on missions, uh, you know, being in this for a while, working for a missions organization. Um, I wanted to get your perspective on missions, and I, I thought you had a great perspective on it. And so that's why we're here today. So I've been filming a documentary called The Crisis of Missions. And um, so I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll pass it off to you. I know you yeah. probably have other questions. For yeah. Me, so you were tired of interviewing experts. <laughs> so you thought, well, let me just talk to Alex. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. So no. The Crisis of Missions. <laughs> Correct. So what is the crisis of missions? Yeah, that's a great question. So the crisis of missions, um, of course, the name implies that there is um, a, a problem. There's a crisis. Yeah. Um, so before before we start and I get into any of the, the problems uh, or the crisis, I just want to say that I don't want to make blanket statements and, and say that uh, everything is crisis. Or to say that there yeah. are no missionaries that are, aren't doing it uh, yeah. correctly out there, that there isn't good being done. Uh, there's plenty of it out there, and there's many, you know, we would say unsung heroes out there that, uh, you know, they're not looking to be known, and uh, they're out there uh, making Christ known. And so I want to say that up front. Yeah. Um, but w- when, when I survey evangelicalism in America, and I survey missions that is really being exported out of America— uh, and in the West, um, I see that there is uh, often a problem in that uh, there is a lack of desire to want to make Christ known. And so uh, oftentimes we see pragmatism take the forefront and, you know, we'll see a lot of maybe mercy ministry. There's other philosophies and things we can get into, but kind of this idea that uh, we first have to earn the right to be able to share Christ with people. And, um, and so I want to really dispel that, mm. that myth mm. and let people know that Christ has already earned the right for mm. us. With his blood. With his blood, absolutely. Mm. And, um, and that it's not as scary as people really think, at least not in America. I know there's other contexts yeah. in which, you know, there's persecution and whatnot. Yeah, ultimately that's, that's yeah. the concept yeah. behind the film, and I know we can get into more details about yeah. that. Yeah, let's dive in. Scott, you cut in. Yeah, sure. Um, so, so first let's talk about this idea of what is a missionary. I think defining that idea might be helpful as we dive into that. So, you know, how do you define missionary in your film? And then do you think that that the concept has been watered down? It seems like you do. I mean, even just kind of the way you prefaced it there about, I don't know if you were saying that mercy ministry is wrong, or if you just think that mercy ministry only is wrong, maybe you can help us understand that a little bit. But how does missionary work start? You know, what, what, what do you see leading into actually effective missionary work? Yeah, that's Great questions, and um, and I will say up front that uh, absolutely I believe in mercy ministry. Uh, right, we're, we're called to good works, and and we absolutely uh, because we're Christians, we want to love our neighbor. Um, and so, you know, as James said, if I see my brother in need, I'm not going to turn a blind eye to them. Um, so, absolutely, 100, uh, percent we we want to love our neighbor in that way. But what I see as a missionary is is a missionary is it's somebody that is specifically called and sent, uh, somebody that is is called, sent, and held accountable by their local church to go. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I forget the exact 
person who said it, but he said, if everybody is a missionary, um, then nobody's a missionary. Uh, because we lose the intentionality of missions. John Stott. John Stott, right? yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, so we lose that intentionality of missions if everyone is a missionary. Now, everybody has a part to play in the Great Commission, uh, but not everybody specifically is called uh, to go. And so, yeah, so a missionary, I would say, you know, first and foremost, we have to look at the qualifications in in First Timothy and Titus. Um, do they meet those qualifications? Uh, are they gifted to be able to teach the Word of God, to teach sound doctrine? And, um, and do they have a desire uh, to go? And, and so, you know, I define missions uh, a little more broadly maybe than most, but I, I define it as going in whatever context we're in, whether that's local or cross-culturally, yeah. whether that's here or reaching unreached people groups. I think that's a helpful point to add. Mm. When you and I were speaking together earlier, the, the root word of, of missions or missionary, you can trace that to apostello and this this greek uh word signifying sending out um sending out with authority like a, an ambassador an emissary right somebody that's sent under the authority of another and there's cross-cultural missions and we really need to emphasize cross-cultural missions to unreached language groups and others who are without any gospel witness currently but the the critical the thing without which you actually don't have a missionary anymore is that local church sending right, that we see in scripture. So mm-hmm. maybe tell us why uh, you would say that missions is downstream from the local church. What's the source of that disconnect that you've observed? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that, that's the, the best way to put that, that missions is downstream of the local. So we should say healthy missions is always downstream of a healthy church. The way that I describe it is that we love to speak about what we love. We love to make known what we find beautiful, right? I mean, we do it all the time. We see a beautiful sunset. We take a picture. We want to post it on social media for others to That's see. Scott's always talking about, oh, I, by the way, I live in Fremont, California. <laughs> There's some beautiful you know scenery that, man. Out there. It's so beautiful here. Yeah. So beautiful. Yeah. Yes, Go ahead. there is. And, uh, and so, yeah, so it, it really comes down to the question that has to be asked. If, if we look out at the landscape and we see there's a lacking and a desire uh, to want to make Christ known, um, then we have to ask the question, are we seeing a, a, a glorious and beautiful Savior uh, to the point where we want mm-hmm. to make him known? And so ultimately what this film is pointing out is that does the crisis begin with the local church? And the argument that I'm making is that it does, um, is that we mm-hmm. in, in many respects are not putting a glorious Savior before the eyes of our congregants to the point mm-hmm. where they uh, they are growing in faith and they're growing in that desire to want to make Christ known. No, I, I think that that's, that that's true. I, I remember going to a, you know, a nine marks event in uh, at one of the SBC uh, conventions. And, and I remember, you know, some of the concerns that were going on around different things were happening in different, uh, different of the organizations within the SBC of the seminaries and, you know, the, the missions arms and stuff. And, and Mark Devers is something really profound, but so basic, right? Like he just said, you know, the problem is the churches. And so if, if as churches, we hold uh, these agencies accountable, then if we deal with the problems in our own churches, then guess what? Downstream, we don't have that same problem. So I like the fact that you're focusing on, you know, the idea of like what's happening in the local church is going to be what's happening in the, uh, in the mission field. We're not going to, if we don't see healthy churches at home, we're not going to see healthy practices in the mission field. They're going to, ref- they should be, and they ought to be reflecting what they've been seen, seen modeled and what they're already practicing, uh, here in the States. So I, I love that. I love that approach and, and holding up a beautiful savior. So how, how would you say that local churches can better support and hold accountable missionaries in terms of this, you know, finances, but also mission effectiveness? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, You know, Alex and I were talking about this earlier, and I think one of the best ways to support the missionaries um, is to be more intentional. Uh, First and foremost, I would say is that uh, elders and those uh, in leadership within a church should familiarize themselves with the missionaries that are on the field. I completely understand if you're a pastor coming into an older church and you're inheriting maybe some some problems or, or, or in missionaries that you're not familiar with. But I would say at least over time, uh, you should begin to familiarize yourself with those on the mission field, get to know them. I think one of the one of the best things that uh, that that a, that a pastor can do is 
um, as Alex said earlier, is maybe maybe shrink the amount of missionaries that you're supporting in the sense of if you're not familiar with them, if you have no idea who they are or what they're doing, get very familiar with with particular missionaries because you know accountability is a major issue when it comes to churches sending missionaries. And so how do you how do you hold accountable? Uh, say maybe 30, 40 people that you're you're really unfamiliar with. And so that's not to say we can't support other missionaries uh, outside of outside of our local church, but I, I think we should be very intentional about supporting more people that we raise up from our local churches uh, to go. Yeah, I, I mean, I've heard some people say that their standard for sending a missionary uh, is if if they wouldn't hire this person on staff at their church, they wouldn't send them because... On the one hand, if you're supporting them hiring, in a sense, you are hiring them if you're supporting them financially. And you could you could maybe argue, well, is that too strict a standard? I don't think it is. I think that that's realistic. Mm. And there's a difference between sending and yeah. supporting as well, right? There, there might be people that we support because we want to love them and we're excited about them. They're not 110% the same DNA as our church, but we want to we wanna love them well. But as far as those whom we send out of our midst... Uh, they should be reflective and a representative of what God is doing in our church, right? Because missions, it's it's receiving from the church, sent out workers, and it's ultimately, its goal is planting churches. And so everything in that, the, the church is at the center as well. Uh, but let me let yeah. me shift gears a little bit with you as well. Part of this crisis that you're seeing is methodologies. We talk all the time on this show about pragmatism that slips in. And one of the things uh, that you're passionate about is the fact that the methods that we've been given, they don't change, or do they? What do you think? There are some things that can change, of course, you know, within the the context that we're in, um, technology changes, for instance, right. and so language, uh, language yeah. changes. And so, yeah, there are certain methods that can change, but ultimately the, mes- the, the method of proclaiming the gospel to people is never going to change. The gospel has to go forth and be proclaimed, right? How will they hear without a preacher? Yeah. And so um, in that sense, uh, no, the, the, the methods are God's methods and they're consistent throughout history. They've always been from the very beginning of time and they will be until Christ returns, right? It's, it's always going to be the proclamation of the word of God um, and, and even the public, the public worship, right? Public worship of believers gathering together. Um, that's never going to change either. So yeah, I think what happens is, is I think sometimes we get... This goes back to the question of really what is what is the mission of God? Yeah. You know, when we start to ask these questions, we have to begin by asking the question, what is God's mission? Yeah. And are we joining God on his mission or are we in some way inserting ourselves into that process yeah. um, with our methods? Let me follow up on that sure. too. So we have a lot in common. Obviously, people that listen often know, okay, like Dave's one of us, right? You believe planting healthy churches, uh, proclaiming the gospel, all of that. So amen to all of that. Something that is left off often is explicit gospel proclamation, even in public places. Yeah. What about that? Is is gospel proclamation, is that is that in a Bible study? Is that in a circle? Is that from a soapbox? Is it over coffee? Is it all of the above? Help us think through that. Yeah. So gospel proclamation. And, and, and actually too, let me, sorry to interrupt yeah. you, but paint a picture for us of what you talk about in the film and the people that you've interviewed, the places that you've gone. Uh, because I, I think that missionaries listening to this, they're not going to be unfamiliar with these issues, yeah. but to be challenged and encouraged and sharpened by examples of other people that are doing it in different ways, I think is critical. Yeah. Gospel proclamation is, I would say, uh, two things. One, the gospel is not something that we pr- just proclaim. It's also something we internalize as well. So mm-hmm. it, it changes the way that we live uh, in this life. But but I would say as far as uh, missions and evangelism uh, is concerned, the gospel proclamation is the verbalization of the, the message uh, of Christ coming in, into the world and dying for sinners, right? We are, we are all sinners. We are all in need of a Savior. And so ultimately that, you know, that that's what has to be preached. I don't know if this is specifically uh, answering your question, but but I would say one of the things as far as the documentary is concerned is that um, oftentimes that verbal communication of the gospel is left out of evangelism and left out of missions. And I, and I think what happens is sometimes uh, we think that through our actions, we're going to win people to Christ. Um, now, our actions should be consistent with yeah. the word. It should be consistent with the gospel, um, but we're, we're never going to win people 
um, simply by the way that we live. Atheists can live seemingly outwardly right. good lives. Civic they can good. do nice things, yeah. right? Um, but ultimately, if we're not uh, preaching the gospel, then... That word preaching. Yeah. So what do we mean by so, that? Yeah, Scott, weigh in. That surprised me a little bit that you're seeing that. I mean, I, I haven't seen that in the mission field, the missionaries that I know and have worked with. How are you seeing that play out where you're not seeing, they're not sharing the gospel at all? Or help me understand what, what you're concerned about there. So you yeah. shared one example when we were talking earlier, too. From we don't, we don't need to name the organization, maybe, but actually there was one. Yeah, that's a good question. So um, there was there was an example I have. Um, I, I was... I. I helped a brother move to a particular state. Uh, he was joining a uh, missions organization. And I remember walking with the director of the organization at the time, and uh, it was a training center, and they had about maybe 10 to 15 families living there, being trained to go cross-culturally. And I remember asking him, um, I said, how has is, how is the community around here received the gospel? And I remember he hung his head low, and he just said, I don't know. I don't know. And so that that struck me because... If we're training missionaries to go to the ends of the earth to proclaim the gospel, and yet we we fail to see that there's darkness across the street, ultimately, I think maybe we need to reevaluate what we're doing. Um, some of the things, too, is when we look back in history, um, well, first and foremost, when we look through scripture, we see... Um, the proclamation of God's word throughout the whole Bible, the public proclamation of God's word through the whole Bible, whether it's, you know, Jonah, um, whether it's Noah, right? Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Uh, we see Jesus, of course, preaching on, on mountainsides and in boats. We see the apostles, uh, it says in Acts that they went from town to town and they preached wherever. Uh, yeah. Paul in the Areopagus uh, in Athens, he just lifted up his voice and preached to whoever happened to be there in the marketplace, and then as we go through history, uh, we see men publicly proclaiming the gospel uh, all throughout the world. There's so many examples that we see in history. It's not just during the Great Awakening. And this is one of the things that, um, that Dr. Michael Haken is going to bring out in, in his interview. He shares how the, the, gospel, the, the public proclamation of the gospel was at the forefront of the Reformation. You know, how did all of Europe mm. hear the gospel within a hundred years. Well, mm. it's because these men had had a had a burning in them to take uh, Christ to the to the nations. And Calvin even sent missionaries to Brazil. Yeah, you know. And then we come in into the the Great Awakening, and and the public proclamation of the gospel was at the forefront of the Great Awakening. You know, there's all kinds of examples. One, uh, for instance, there's a man named Francis Asbury. He was actually the the um, really the the founder of early Methodism at the time in America. Mm, but, okay. but this mm -hmm. man, he, he went, he rode over 300,000 miles on horseback to reach the people in America. Hopefully not nonstop. Not nonstop. Yeah. <laughs> but he, um, in his late sixties, he was, uh, there's, there's accounts of him riding through the woods, being shot at by Indians on the way to preach to the next village. And he was actually more famous than George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and the founding fathers. And yet today, most of us have, have no clue who he is. We've never yeah. heard of him. Yeah. And when we go back in history, and I'll wrap this up in a minute, uh, but when we go back in history, and I think these, this is one of the things that really burdens me, is that uh, when we read books on missions today in our contemporary context, the, the, the evangelistic aspect of their mission oftentimes is left out. And we tend to focus more on the, the pulpit side of things, pulpit preaching as opposed to their evangelistic work. And as Especially a result, in our reformed world. In our reformed world, absolutely. Yeah, we, love our, we love to preach boldly inside the walls of the church. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well said. Mm -hmm. Well, you, I want to circle back to something you said earlier and just, you know, maybe get clarification on that. You said, uh, you know, something about um, earning the right to, to speak. Mm -hmm. And when I feel, I feel like I was kind of interpreted as earning the authority to speak. And I, I think most of the time I've heard it used isn't in relation to authority because clearly all authority has been given to Christ and he sends us. Um, but I'm, I, I usually hear that term being used in the context of relational, like a, rena a relational uh, 
respect, you know, that we've earned a relational capital with someone to the point that they'll hear us. And, you know, I, I see that when I, when you hear it talk about like proclamational preaching in public spaces, you know, I look at like Paul and, and, and the Areopagus, for instance, there, there was a context in which he was entering into that, that he knew were very well. I mean, he, he was following almost the exact process that Socrates went through a few hundred years before him of how he was going about setting up his argument and making his argument. Now, granted, his argument was still rejected in the end, but he was entering into, and I think gaining, I would say, earning the right to speak by following the right standards. The same thing with Stephen. Stephen obviously was stoned for what he said, so it wasn't like he was well received for what he preached, but he was entering into a tradition of prophets that that everyone understood when Stephen stood up and said what he was saying and the way he said it, that they recognized he was speaking as a prophet. Could someone argue, though, that that maybe our culture uh, doesn't have us a way to do that unless you go on to like YouTube or TikTok. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of place for that. But you know, if I go into, you know, the parking lot of Google and start speaking, there's not a category for people to put that in. Uh, so how would you, how would you answer that? Maybe that response, I guess it's my response. How, how would you answer that when someone said, Hey, well, earning the right is maybe like, like gaining the right place to be able to speak it or establishing yourself that this is a message worthy of being, being given or being heard, um, in a culture that doesn't really have a category for that right now. I I would say that there are absolutely contexts in which, uh, we're not just going to go in and just start preaching, right? You're not going to go into uh, Saudi Arabia. You're not going to go into Saudi Arabia and just start yeah. preaching in the street. You're probably not going to last very long no. there if you do that. Um, so, yeah, I would say there is a, there is a, um, an aspect in uh, where it is uh, contextual. I'm speaking more generally that um, Christ has already earned the right for us to proclaim the gospel to people uh, who haven't asked for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the best way that I can mm-hmm. paint this picture is that Jesus was drugged through the streets of Jerusalem, right? He, he carried his cross up the hill of Golgotha, and he was publicly crucified before the eyes of men, women, and children, bleeding before the eyes of everyone, whether they wanted to see it or not. And so his death was, was a public proclamation to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, in a sense, right? And so, so in that sense, he's given us the right to go to all peoples, to every tribe and nation, and to proclaim the gospel. Now, there are certain situations where we're not going to be able to go into certain villages and preach without getting kicked out immediately. I'll give you, I'll give you one example. I have a friend of mine who, um, who is a cross-cultural missionary, and he went to uh, a people group, and they went through... Uh, all of this effort to train these children to be to play soccer. They spent probably about a month training these children to to play soccer, and they got them jerseys, and they got their names embroidered on the jerseys and everything else. And by the end of this month, he said, okay, now's the time. We're going to go in, and we're going to share the gospel with them. And so he sits everybody down, and he shares the gospel with everybody, and immediately whoever it was, the chief of the village, whatever, they kicked them out. That was it. They were never allowed back in. Mm. So I said to him, I said, well, what if you did that up front? And they kicked you out the first day. What really was the difference? Um, Now, I know there's some arguments to be made in there, but I think ultimately at the end of the day, what is most important is that they see Christ and not us. Well, we in our in our church. So we're really on the the cutting edge of outreach strategies. So we're doing Mm -hmm. this thing. It's called VBS. Have you heard of VBS? Right. Yeah. 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 Nice. Real cutting yeah. edge, yeah. Um, we were planted in 1914. Saw a TikTok about yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We, you know, tried and true, tried and true. But um, last year, uh, just the way it was structured, the curriculum that we used, the the biggest gospel presentation was the last night of the week. Well, you're missing half the kids, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. families come and go and people have other commitments. And so in a similar situation, obviously different field. Right. But this year we were like, no, they're getting the gospel every night this week. Because uh, you never know who can make it all the way through. Yeah, there's a pretty established school of thought, though, in missiology. You know that you know, if you, like our good friend Brooks Buser would probably you know advocate, is that when they come into a tribal setting in which there's very little understanding of the gospel, they take the time to really make sure that they're understanding language, culture, and then carefully expounding the gospel, not just coming into a village day one 
and and doing that. And and I think maybe the argument could be made that our society is a society that doesn't have the context for the gospel. I mean, maybe not as quite as is um, like lacking as as the you know a, a tribal setting in Papua New Guinea, but but most of the young people that we know that we are meeting, you know, their concept of who God is is completely wrong. You know, their concept of of sin and shame and guilt is completely wrong. And you you've, you've got to take a little bit of time, I think, to set that up. And so, I mean, I, I get it. You know, if we're if we're avoiding the conversation because we don't want to make people feel uncomfortable, we're avoiding the conversation because we we don't want you know to not have them come back for day two. Like, that makes sense. But if we're but if we're front loading the you know the the context so that when the gospel comes to them, there's there's an ability to hear it. I think that's a wise strategy. I don't think that's what you're, you're, but you're not, you're not disagreeing with that, right, Alex? I'm not, I don't think you are. Or are you? No, yeah. So, <laughs> okay. so um, of course, if you're going into a, into a setting where the people have never, you know, maybe, maybe it's a tribal situation, say, say, take the missionary t- to Papua New Guinea, who doesn't know the language, who doesn't know anything there. Maybe they don't even have a language. I think, of course, there's going to be a much different approach uh, when you're entering into that, that setting there. Um, there is going to be a process of learning the language, teaching them the language. But I think I think we have to be still have to be intentional in proclaiming the gospel to them. And of course, once we get through that process with them, right. we still have to communicate the gospel. It's a means to an end. It's a means to an end, correct. And and what I think what a lot of people don't know is is even men like William Carey and David Livingston and those you know who who were really at the forefront of the modern missions movement, most of those men were all open air preachers. Um and and these are some of the things where I, I'll say that a lot of this is what sometimes frustrates me because a lot of that history is left out of a lot of modern day biographies yeah. is that these men, um, um, you know, Hudson Taylor, you know, he went into, into China and he would publicly proclaim the gospel to people in China. William Carey would go in and publicly proclaim the gospel. David Livingston, um, there's accounts of him, you know, standing on the backs of wagons going into tribal people mm. um, in, in, I think it was Africa. And um, and publicly proclaiming the gospel to yeah. people, not on a Sunday morning, yeah. but evangelistically. Um, there's there's another uh, there's a brother who um, he was called the Black Bearded Barbarian. He was the first missionary to Taiwan. Uh, they still his, just got my new Twitter handle. Yeah, going. the Black. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, actually sure. you actually look like him. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, but he uh, he was the first missionary to uh, to Taiwan, and and the hospital in Taipei is still named after him, mm. uh, George McKay. I was going to say black bearded, yeah, barbarian hospital. Well, they ring, thought he looked like a barbarian, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he he went into uh, into Taiwan and publicly yeah. proclaimed the gospel to the people. And and this is, I think, is what is left out of a lot of um, modern day biographies, which is why it seems a little strange to us today is when we hear about that. Yeah, no, I, I I think this is a helpful conversation. This is why we have the show. We, we, um, we want to toss around different perspectives because, um, maybe Scott, your background may be different having spent so much time in fundamentalism. Maybe there was an overemphasis on cold contact evangelism. Mm. Um, in my context growing up, I think a lot of that was underplayed and underemphasized. And there is a yeah. there is a difference between earning the right to be heard in the sense of um, I want to build trust and I want to have the gospel land and uh, I want to be effective and till the soil. And I think that that's not only necessary at times, I think that's good and biblical and wise. Um, and and mm. we can even look into missions history and look at times where maybe the toil- soil wasn't tilled first and so the fruit didn't remain. But then there's a difference between that and what we see and we take for granted because we're, we're speaking to gospel proclaiming Bible believing types of missions people on this show all of the time. But there is a whole other branch of the church that would say like, no, digging wells is missions mm-hmm. um, and and loving orphans is is the Great Commission. We would say that's great stuff, but that's not identical to the task of the Great Commission and to be intentional about gospel proclamation. Yeah, I'm wrestling with this in my head, you know, because. I did grow up with, you know, we went, we went cold call evangelizing all evangelizing all the time, uh, all the time, every week. And, you know, 
granted, you're not, you're not, no one here is on this show is advocating for the kind of methods we use, you know, it's like, do you want to go to heaven or hell? Well, no, I don't want to go to hell. Well, do you want to go to heaven? Yeah. Like, you know, just pray this prayer after me and you can be saved. Now, no, now nothing can lead you to hell now because Jesus has got you in eternal security. Right. It was terrible. It was terrible. We rarely, rarely saw someone come from that type of evangelism into the body of believers and was growing in Christ. Hardly ever right. saw it. Um, you know, granted, it's all anecdotal and probably someone's going to write in and say, well, I saw it happen in our church. Great. I'm thankful for that. Um, there's there's also a part of me that's hearing what you're saying about, you know, uh, like looking at George Whitfield and these guys. And, and I go, yeah, but that was 1800s. You know, like so much has changed culturally. So much is thought differently of how we communicate publicly and the right settings to communicate publicly and the ways people are ready to hear that. Um, so there's a part of me that's going like, eh, you know, I just don't know that my neighbors are going to hear me as anything, even hear what I say. If I do that, well, like they're not even going to listen to it. On the other side of it, though, I'm like, yes, like our, we're anemic when it comes to evangelism and like, would it be better to be crude in our methods? <laughs> um, but our hearts are breaking for the lost around us and we're always looking for opportunities to share the gospel and, and we're, we're maybe too eager to mm. share, but we're definitely not too late to share. Mm. Um, so I'm kind of wrestling with that, you know, in my head. So, yeah, no, I, I think that's good. And I wrestle with that myself. I'm sure you do sure. too. Yep. I think you're right, Scott. I mean, I think that we have to be encouraged and stirred by those historic stories. You know, another great example, read the Serampur form of agreement that William Carey and, and his team of missionaries uh, signed and covenanted together that um is is a a devastating blow to our apathy you just read like you know that they're they're committing to basically not waste a waking moment you know in building relationships that will be for the express purpose of sharing the gospel and constantly proclaiming the gospel and doing all of these other things as a part of that grand missionary objective i mean we have to read these things yes culture has changed it's always changing, but humans are still humans. And we've, we've got to let ourselves at least feel uncomfortable reading that stuff. And then how we apply that in our lives is going to vary. The thing that you said, Scott, that I think is helpful is what is considered public has changed. Mm -hmm. But the point is that the gospel is still public truth. I think of Paul when he says, yeah. um, I, I think it's to the Corinthians, like, uh, you know, among you or no to the Galatians, right? Isn't it that, you know, that, that Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified among them, Right. And you look at what he's mm -hmm. saying there in context. He's talking about his preaching ministry. Uh, in, in other words, that right. his preaching ministry was like Christ crawling up to Golgotha that you just described, that it's this spectacle. Yeah. And I think that we've maybe led our cultural sensibilities, and I'm guilty of this too, outpace our theology of the gospel as public spectacle. Yeah. The fact that... Um, Okay, so what's public has changed. So yeah, it's probably not going to be the parking lot of Walmart because I'll probably be escorted away because it's private property. That's changed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the socioeconomics, all, all of that has has morphed with time. Um, it might be social media. I, I think that X or Twitter or whatever it is this week, like is the public square. I think that that's valid. I think in a lot of these fields that you've visited and, and spoken with friends of yours in, Mm -hmm. um, among unreached people groups or minimally reached people groups um, are closer to the old ways. When we're talking about a village and getting kicked in or out of a village, yeah. that's actually, that's very analog, mm -hmm. right? That That's that's the normal way of doing things. But either way, the gospel is public truth. Yeah. Let me get you to comment on something else too. I, mm -hmm. I also sure. think that proclaiming the gospel, uh, I think that has not even just to do with what building you're in, how many people are around. Mm -hmm. um, it, it also has to do with your posture. In other words, there's a difference between, hey, just, you know, you want to come with me to church, just give it a try. I don't know. Like, here's my story, um, which has its place. And sharing all that, saying what you need to say, but then the conversation turns and you would say, let me lovingly implore you, friend. Yeah. Christ is calling you to repent and believe. Yeah. Like, I think that that can happen. I've got a friend, we've shared the story on, on the show before. He ministers in South Asia and he was trying to do cold contact evangelism uh, at a coffee shop uh, in, a, in a very public kind of busy bustling marketplace setting in an Islamic country, people coming and going ready to go to work. And he would get 30 seconds into the conversation. Somebody would know what direction it was going. They would walk off and he starts sharing with this one. And Scott, you know, this person as well, and he's probably listening. 
uh, and he starts to strike up the conversation with one person at the table. He walks off, um, but another person at this table at this marketplace says, wait, what, uh, what were you guys talking about? And he starts talking and they, they get closer and closer until their noses are touching and they're whispering to each other because not only does the missionary know that proselytizing is illegal, the hearer knows as well that he's not allowed to hear this, right? So he's literally whispering mm. the gospel to him. I think that that's public proclamation mm. as well, though, mm. because the spirit is this spirit of calling people to repent and believe and not merely suggesting something that they could add to their life, yeah. right? And I think that's helpful mm. to distinguish because, honestly, when when Chad and I wrote this book, Missions by the Book, uh, people... People that we like, people people we've had on the show, people think we're saying that you have to stand on a soapbox. Yeah. And I, I don't think that's what we're saying, but I think that we're trying to maintain the gospel as calling and proclaiming. And that's going to take different forms. What, 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 you guys cut in. I, I, now I'm preaching. Right? I, <laughs> yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. Um, I think it whatever whatever way that we can make the gospel known, whether mm. it's on X or whether it is mm. the guy whispering in the coffee shop to somebody, uh, in, in a foreign land. Um, I think ultimately it comes back to the discussion of the desire in our heart Mm. to make, do I have that burning Mm. desire in my heart to whatever context I'm in Mm. to want to make Christ known. Mm -hmm. And for some, it may look like standing on a street corner in a particular context and proclaiming the gospel to others. It may be sitting and having coffee with somebody and proclaiming the gospel. Mm. Um, but do I have that desire? And ultimately if I find in myself that I don't, if I'm lacking, if I'm deficient in that desire, um, then I think what it comes down to is I'm, I'm ultimately not seeing a, a great savior. Mm. Um, and, 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 and mm. why is that? Why am I not seeing yeah. a great savior to the point where I want to make him known? I That's think good. when it comes to public proclamation though, I would just, I, w- I would caution those to say, um, don't write it off too quickly. Yeah. Don't write yeah. it off too quickly. Um, I know pastors who many probably know, um, who came out with us, uh, who were very hesitant very, uh, there was a, there was a fear in them to go. And when they went, they said, this is the first time it's almost as if the book of Acts came to life. Um, there's something different about it. You see everything. I mean, I, I can attest to this. Many, many men that I've gone out with can attest to this. There's the demons are real. Yeah. You see, (laughs) you see that. Yeah. Um, I've had, numerous people that would come and say, what must I do to be saved? Mm. You know, and that's not to say, that's not to boast in Mm. what we're doing. I'm just saying that's the power of the gospel Mm. as it is, as Christ is lifted up before people in a way where, where we're going because we love them. We're not going in, you know, and I just want to make that, that clear too. This isn't like Westboro Baptist church. We're not going out telling everybody you're going to burn in hell. Uh, We want to go out because we love people. And like that story you said, um, yeah, we see a multitude of people that are, 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 you know, we're dying men preaching to dying men. Yeah. And that's why we go because first and foremost is for the glory of God. And second, because we love people. That's great. Can you, I, I know we're getting close to the end of our time, but like it would be helpful to me and probably others listening, help us understand, like when you do your public uh, proclamation and you're going out and doing street corner evangelism, like where are you going? What's it looking like? What's the content of your message? Sure. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, you know, I would go back to Proverbs chapter one, you know, you see the very spirit of wisdom. It says, uh, you know, wisdom cries aloud in the streets, in the busy marketplaces. She, she raises her voice at the head of the noisy, at the head of the gates, right? She, she raises her her voice. And, Mm -hmm. and what does the very spirit of wisdom say? It, It starts out, it's not a very nice message. It says, uh, scoffers who love their scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Mm. But if you if you repent, right? If you turn at my reproof, um, you could finish it for me. If you turn at my reproof, essentially, <laughs> I had a, a lapse of mind there. But ultimately, it's it's a message of grace. Good stuff will happen. Good stuff I will happen. It's, it's a the... message of grace, right? Um, <laughs> Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. How are those? That that's a, that's a crystallogically laid. Yes, but absolutely. I will pour out my spirit on you, and I will make my words known to you. That's a tiny Bible you had. There. It's a very <laughs> tiny Bible. Yeah, and so you know, 
to go back to what is the message we we proclaim, and and that's the message. It's it's a message. It's it's law and gospel yeah. is what we go out to proclaim. Um, men have a great need, and that need is that we are sinners before a holy God, and ultimately we are in need of reconciliation with God. Yeah. Um, how will they hear without a preacher? That's why we go. Yeah. But at the same time. Um, um, there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And so ultimately at the end of the day, we have to make Christ known to them and say, there is free grace for all who repent and believe for all who turn to Christ. Um, he is, uh, he, he will in no wise cast you out if you come to him. And so that, that's the message that we preach. So I think you're, I think you may though be, um, assuming, you know, that we're smarter than we are. So, um, so for instance, like I'm, I'm like real practically okay. here, like, do you, do you go to like to, do you go to inner Harbor, Baltimore? Gotcha. Like where, do you know, there's just going to be a ton of people or do you go to, you know, outside your, um, you know, your whole foods where people are coming in and out, like, how do you pick? The, and then when you start preaching, like, I, I, you know, I understand the concept, but like, are you, are you starting with like, you know, are you doing like a Ray comfort, here's the 10 commandments. You've broken them. You're going to hell. Here's the, here's the gospel. Good news because people are coming and going. So how are, you know, are you hoping that they'll draw a crowd? Are you trying to say little nuggets? So as they're walking by, they're get, catching little pieces of it. Like what, what are the nuts and bolts? And maybe we're running out of time Alex. you can feed <laughs> on me here, but I think it'd be really helpful for people who are going like, Hey, maybe I'm being led to do something like this, but sure. I can't even imagine what I'd say in that chaotic of an environment, or I don't even know what's the best places to go and start doing this. And like, what do I do if people want to talk to me and and I'm preaching, but they want to have a one-on-one, but I'm up here talking, you know, yeah. like, how does that happen? Like, so maybe just a little, a little more granularly practical. Um, if you, that'd be helpful. Yeah. So what I would say is it depends on the context you're in. Um, going back to Proverbs one, right? If you're in the busy marketplaces where a lot of people congregate, then I would say those are the situations where, um, you know, open air preaching is probably conducive to that, that area where there's a lot of people, you know, you're not going to reach everybody there by just talking one-on-one with people. Um, and so what we would do is we would just stand up. I would, this is how I would do it. I would, I would stand up. I would open up scripture. I would begin to read, maybe start in Romans chapter one. And I would, I would begin to read through Romans chapter one. Um, and then I would, I would preach. Now I, I, I don't write a sermon, um, because it's not the context to preach a sermon. Um, you have to be quick, you know, Spurgeon uh-huh. wrote uh, a book in his lectures to uh-huh. my students on, uh, open air preaching and how to open air preach. And you have to be quick uh-huh. with it, I guess, if you will, because people are walking by very quickly. And so what I would do is I would try to engage with people and say, you know, sir, uh, you know, have you considered where you will go when you die? Where will you spend eternity? You know, just anything to get them to stop and think so that I can engage them on a deeper level um, and then bring the co- the gospel to bear upon their conscience. Um, and, and oftentimes, you know, we, we say gospel proclamation leads to gospel conversations. And so usually when we're done, mm. I mean, there's times we'll have a line of people waiting to, to talk just to have conversations with you. Um, there, there's instances where we were in Scotland, we we're on Buchanan street in Scotland, very busy area. We would have 500 to a thousand people standing around listening to the gospel being proclaimed. Wow. And, um, to the point where it would bottleneck the whole street and the police would have to come and break it up because there was nowhere for people to get through. And, um, and afterwards we would spend hours, just hours addressing questions after yeah. we were done preaching. Um, some of the most amazing conversations, fruitful conversations that we would have and follow up with them. We get them connected with local churches in the area. Um, and ultimately I think that's where it has to come back to. Yeah. has to come back to the local church and no matter what situation or context we're in, um, it always has to come back to, you know, what, what are people getting saved into if they're not getting saved into the yeah, church? Yeah. Right. And, yeah. mm. and that's important. It, I think of so many examples and, and we could really talk about this for so long, but I know of ABWE missionaries who are powerhouse evangelists. I know of some who quite frankly, um, need to prayerfully and, and, and confess the need to prayerfully be thinking about, you know, how, how can I make even more time to have meaningful gospel conversations with the lost? Maybe my platform is as a medical doctor and there's always the tension, right. For, for the, the tail to wag the dog and my time in the clinic starts to really drive my schedule more than my ministry obligations. And that's a, that's a delicate balance that, that people 
wrestle with. I think of missionaries uh, that serve with ABWE in, in Australia and they have a uh, an Olympics ministry wherever the Olympics is taking place. They're going and they're doing cold contact evangelism there because where else are you going to find so many people of so many different nationalities all in one place? And and I, I think it just comes down to recognizing that even if you're a missionary on the field or if you're a schlub behind a microphone in Pennsylvania or Fremont, California, mm-hmm. or anywhere in between, uh, that we need to let our hearts break just a little more. We need to be not so quick to write off our brothers and sisters that are evangelizing in different ways than us, some more boldly. The body of Christ needs a hand and a foot and an eye and an ear. And Yeah, it's true. Not everyone can be an eye. Not everyone can be a mouthpiece. Uh, but But everyone can probably be doing more uh, for our Lord. I know that I can. And uh, let, let me just read these words, and I, I think we'll all resonate with them. Scott, I love that earlier you said, you know, maybe it's better to have crass methods, but to love the lost. And uh, what comes to mind is 1 Corinthians 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And really, whatever method we're doing, is our faith resting in the wisdom of men or in the power of God? And maybe that's a good question to leave our listeners with and honestly to leave ourselves with this week. We thank you for joining us on this winding and circuitous missions podcast journey this week. We're so grateful to have you aboard. If you like what you're hearing, if you're on YouTube, like it, subscribe, smash the bell to get notifications when ABWE puts out new videos. If you're listening by audio podcast, and most of you are on Apple, hit follow. Leave us a positive rating and review as well. That'll help get this content in front of other people that can be encouraged and stirred to love and good works by it. Or whatever app you're using, go ahead and subscribe, follow along. We appreciate all of those who have. If you want to support the show, you can do so. This is a ministry of ABWE, and you can go to missionspodcast.com slash support. We appreciate those who give. That helps us to do more than we're doing already in the cause of promoting solid missions thinking. And uh, before we go... Dave, I want to give you a chance. How can people find out more about this Crisis of Missions documentary? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, So you could find more information about the documentary at crisisofmissions.com. And so you'll have the trailer on there where you can view um, what it's about and some information about the documentary as well. It was the crisis, uh, but the website got hacked. And so it's now just crisisofmissions.com. You know, we got hacked like uh, really? two years ago. Uh, yeah, our website got taken down, went mm. totally Russian. So anyway, we'll have to wow. swap stories about that sometime. Yeah. So go to crisisofmissions.com. And of course, to get more content from ABWE, to learn more about how to be a part of the Association of Baptists for World Evangelism, tie in there, abwe.org is where you can go to find out more about this missions agency. Wherever you're coming from, wherever you're listening from, thank you for joining us this week. And we'll see you next week on the Missions Podcast. Take care.